0: Uh, You might have thought that I was going to be just speaking from the perspective of a father's heart as a human father, because I love to talk about that too. But actually tonight I'm going to focus more on the heart of our Heavenly Father. And He wants us in heaven with Him. I want to be there. He wants us to be there. He longs for us to be there. And there's really nothing to keep us from being there except our unwillingness to choose to cooperate with Him. In Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, there's some very simple yet beautiful words that our Father in Heaven has given to us. He says, "...like a father pitieth his children." So the Lord pities them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Isn't that wonderful? This is the Father in Heaven remembering and pitying our condition. Reaching down to us and saying He remembers that we are dust. Now, does that mean He just makes excuses for us? No. But He has a genuine, loving, tender pity for us, just as we should have for our own children. He knows the position that we find ourselves in. He remembers that we are dust. I wonder how we're responding to Him, brothers and sisters. How are we responding to to His Father's heart for us. I remember the day that Elaine and I met Bill and Karen at one of our seminars. They came to us after one of the meetings and they asked if we could find a private place where we could talk together for a little time in between the meetings. And there they unfolded to us the heart-wrenching story of their daughter, Sandy. You see, Sandy was a loving, bright, talented young woman. They had homeschooled Sandy, and she excelled scholastically, musically very talented. Bill and Karen had a great marriage, a very close family relationship. They had good interaction with Sandy and their other child. Sandy began doing projects on the computer, on the Internet. And quite innocently at first, Sandy met an older man there on the Internet. Sandy's world began to change very silently and imperceptibly to her parents. But her life began to change nonetheless. The man on the other end the man that she had never met except through the World Wide Web, that man began to convince Sandy that the life that she had been living all those years in that family was a life of bondage. That Sandy needed to experience the freedom that he could offer to her if given the opportunity. He convinced Sandy that she needed to know what real life was like. That she had never experienced it. Sounds a little bit like the unfortunate story that Eve heard in the garden, in that beautiful garden from that serpent. Well, Bill and Karen didn't know anything about what was happening. And they had been planning for some time a special mission trip that Sandy would be getting involved in with a group of young adults. And so, unbeknownst to them, Sandy went on her mission trip to another state. And it was there in that state that she rendezvoused with the man that she had met on the Internet. The devious man who had convinced Sandy that her whole life had been a life of bondage and that she now needed to experience freedom. Sandy didn't come home, brothers and sisters. And when she made the first contact with her parents, Sandy was a different girl. Sandy even had a different tone in her voice. She was not the same girl that left her home that day. The police told Bill that they couldn't help him. You see, Sandy had turned 18 years old now. And they said there was nothing they could do. And so Bill hired a private detective who only confirmed the devious character of this man who had led Sandy into a cultish way of life. I want to stop right there for a moment, parents, because these are real people. They're dear people. And I know these people very personally. What does that do to your father's heart, men? What does that do to you, wives, when you think of what Bill and Sandy are experiencing with their daughter as they're talking to us this Sabbath afternoon at a seminar? What do you think going through their hearts? Well, unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of time to spend between that meeting. All we could really do was encourage Bill and Sandy to take hold of Jesus Christ in a way that they had not taken hold of him prior to this. In order that they might be able to hear more clearly and understand more fully what God was asking to do with Sandy being away from them with this man. Shortly after we returned home, I received a phone call from Bill. And he told me in quite anxious terms with much anxiety and intensity that he was considering an attempt to rescue his daughter Sandy. Now, I want to ask you something, men. There are a lot of you out here tonight. (laughs) When I heard what Bill wanted to do, can you imagine what came up inside of me as a father? You see, I have an 18-year-old daughter. I have a 20 year old daughter. Can you imagine what came up inside of me? What if I called you, my friends, and told you that I was thinking about rescuing my daughter? What would rise up inside of you? Would I have anybody to help me? Any volunteers? <laughs> Thank you, mates. <laughs> well, that's what my human heart wanted to do. I entered in immediately as a brother, as a man, as a father to what Bill was considering. But you know, that's not where the Lord left me. Because I'm learning, as I've shared with you before, I'm learning to be swift to hear not only what my human heart says, but what is the Word of my Lord to me. Being swift to hear what saith the Spirit? Bill said to me on that conversation, he asked me this question. He said, What do I do, Tom? What do I do? Do you have any idea what it's like to have a person in that situation ask you what they should do? He's wanting me to tell him whether he should attempt to rescue his daughter. And I have to put away my own human feelings and emotions. And I have to consult with my God before I speak to this man. Because what I say to him has the potential of changing his entire life with his daughter. Have you ever been in a position like that, friends? You know, we cannot afford to lean to our own understanding, brothers and sisters. And God made me clearly aware of that as I sat there for a moment on that phone conversation. He said, what should I do in the agony of his heart? And I entreated the Lord as He spoke to me. And I said, Lord, what do You want me to say? I don't have wisdom sufficient for this. I can't just give him an answer that just pops into my flesh, into my thoughts. Lord, what would You have me to say to this man? And immediately, these words came into my mind. Not for me, but for Bill. I will instruct Thee and teach Thee in the way that Thou shalt go. I will guide Thee with mine eye. Those are the words of our Heavenly Father, brothers and sisters. Those are words that I claimed over and over again in my own experience as God was moving us from our city lifestyle into the present circumstances that we find ourselves in in the mountains of Montana. Over and over I had pled with God that He would keep that promise, that that promise would be alive to me and my family. And now He said to me, those words... This promise is for Bill today. And I felt the weight come off my own shoulders as I shared with my brother in distress Mm -hmm. those words of promise. And I said to him, Bill, do you believe that God is willing to instruct you personally and teach you personally today what He would have you to do in regard to your daughter? And he said, yes, I do. I want to ask you tonight, friends, do you believe that God is willing to personally instruct you in what you need to do? Do you believe that? And then, the the more difficult question that I posed to my dear brother in distress was, are you willing to let God have you completely so that you will know what He is asking you to do? And here's what he said to me. He said, What would you do? And I said, If I were in your situation, when this phone call ends, I said, I would go to my closet. This is what I told him. I would go to my closet, my prayer closet, and I would stay there with the Lord until I knew His will specifically for this decision you're making today. That's what I would do. Now, this doesn't mean, friends, that every time we have a decision to make, we have to go to our literal prayer closet. And I'm thankful to have a place like that to go. And I hope you have a place like that to go, that has become your special place of communion with God. But, friends, we can commune with God wherever we are, right? Not every little decision has to be waited upon until we get to our special prayer closet. But a decision like this, brothers and sisters, we are not spending enough time in our prayer closets. We are not spending enough time consulting with God for what His will is regarding the conduct of our daily lives. And we need to be spending time there, brothers and sisters. And then he said to me, Tom, would you do me a very big favor? (laughs) And I said, what is it, Bill? And then he explained to me the situation that he presently found himself in right there on that telephone call. And the appointment that he had to meet in the next few minutes. He said, Tom, will you go into your closet and pray for me? Will you pray that I will be able to hear him speaking to me even through this appointment that I must meet? And that he will prepare my heart to go home where I can go to my closet and get my answer from God. Friends, I've had a lot of people ask me to pray for them over the years. (laughs) Lots of people. And it's a privilege to pray for one another, isn't it? But I have never had anyone ask me to go to my prayer closet like this man did this day. I said, Bill, as soon as I hang up the telephone, I will go to my prayer closet for you. When I got off the phone, I had no idea, brothers and sisters, what a blessing God had in store for me for Bill's sake. As I went into my closet that day and I began to pray, I said, Lord, I'm here praying as a man for this man. I'm here as a father who has a daughter, who has daughters, praying for a man who has lost his daughter. And then I thought of my own precious daughters. All brothers and sisters. Do you have any idea what it is to lose a daughter? There as I was on my knees before God, I began to enter in to this man's situation. I began to enter into what pain and heartache this man was going through. And I'll tell you, friends, it's just as though something switched inside of me. And I began pleading with God for this man in a way I've never pled for anyone in my life. And there in the silence of my closet, the Lord spoke these words to me. Not audible words. The words in my conscience, these words came to me. The Lord said, I am the God of all flesh. Brothers and sisters, I wish you could have been there with me in my prayer closet that day. Because when God said, I am, I immediately saw the experience of Moses at the burning bush. I saw Moses standing before Pharaoh in a flash. My mind saw these scenes and I recognized this is the same God who says, I am. He was speaking those words to me. I am the God of all flesh and there is nothing too hard for me. Brothers and sisters, all I can tell you is that day on my knees, I experienced the I am like I've never experienced him before. For another man and his daughter. He said, I am the God of all flesh. And I knew in that moment of time that there was no question that God was able to do whatever needed to be done for Bill's daughter. And it was a thrill to my soul, brothers and sisters. God seemed so personal to me, so incredibly real to me. And I said, Lord, I'm coming to you as a father. I have a father's heart. Do you have a father's heart? I know many of you here have a father's heart. I said, Lord, I'm coming to you as a father. I have a Father's heart. And then, friends, in the pavilion of darkness there in my closet. You know, God loves to be in the pavilion of darkness. It was in that pavilion of darkness that He was with His Son at the cross. He loves to hide His glory in darkness. There in that pavilion of darkness in my closet, in my prayer closet that day, God spoke words to me in my heart that I hope and pray I will never forget through all eternity. You see, I was there pleading with God that I have a Father's heart. That was my only plea to Him. That was my basis for coming to Him. That was my whole motivation for interceding in behalf of this man and his daughter is because I had a Father's heart. And there in the quietness of that moment, God said to me, I have a Father's heart too. Oh, brothers and sisters, I've never seen God, my Father, like that before. I saw God tenderly reaching down to this world. I saw God giving His only begotten Son with a loving, aching heart, giving Jesus, His only Son, for you and I. He has a Father's heart, brothers and sisters. He has a Father's heart that is many, many more times tender than the tenderest heart we've ever experienced within us, divine or human. God has a Father's heart for us. In that moment, I recognized, as I've never recognized before, that I don't have to merit something to come before God to get Him to understand the hurt in my heart for another person. God has that Father's heart for you and I, brothers and sisters. He's reaching out to us in tenderness And I saw him giving Jesus in a way I've never seen it before. He has a Father's heart for us, brothers and sisters. And he yearns for us to respond to him today, tonight. The way we yearn for our children to respond to us. You know, there's no greater satisfaction to a father, to an earthly father, like many of us here tonight. There's no greater satisfaction than to know that we have the heart of our young people. Can you put a price on that, men? My daughter Allison is clear over there on the other side of the world right now. But I have her heart. She loves me as much as a daughter could love a father and my two young people that are here with me tonight, I have their hearts. They're knit to my heart. Brothers and sisters, God wants to have our hearts knit to His heart. Why is it so hard for us? Why do we turn ourselves away from our loving Heavenly Father? Oh, how it breaks my heart to see young people who turn away from the loving parents who have given all they can give their children. Yes, we make mistakes, but it breaks my heart to see young people turn their hearts away from the parents who have given all their lives for those young people. But oh, what a blessed privilege it is to be a father and have the hearts of our young people. Isn't that a blessing, friends? But why aren't we giving ourselves to our Heavenly Father? He's given all heaven for us in Jesus. And why do we hold ourselves back? Why do we keep Him at an arm's length from us, brothers and sisters? He yearns to be a personal Father to us. He loves us with an everlasting love. You see... I believe in just the same way as this devious man stole the heart of precious little Sandy right out from the arms of her father. So, the devious adversary of our souls has been stealing our affections from our Heavenly Father. Do you see it? He has told us it wasn't just Eve that bought into the lie back there in Eden. The devil has continued to tell us lies that have stolen our affections from our Heavenly Father. Just as that man convinced Sandy that she could no longer trust her parents. Here here are these parents, this daughter, that they've had a loving relationship for nearly 18 years. And a man on a computer screen steals that from their daughter's heart. Satan has done this, brothers and sisters. He has convinced many of us, well, he's convinced all of us, but we're being bought back, aren't we? (laughs) He's convinced us that we cannot trust our Heavenly Father. We can't trust our Heavenly Father. He's convinced us like he convinced Eve. Eve, if you want to have real freedom, you eat the one tree that God says you can't eat of. God knows that if you eat that tree, you're going to be like Him. So eat it. Experience the real freedom. The devil is doing that to us, brothers and sisters. He's stealing our affections. He's convincing us that we cannot trust ourselves in an absolute surrender to the tender heart of our Heavenly Father. And we have bought into it through a multitude and a myriad of ways. You see, the devil's program only has to accomplish one thing. Only has to accomplish one thing. And he's successful. I'll tell you what it is. All the devil has to do is keep professing Christians from entering into a living, vital connection with Jesus Christ. And he has succeeded in his battle plan. That's all he has to do. That's all he has to do is keep professing Christians. I'm not talking about the world. He's got the world, brothers and sisters. He's got the world. All he has to do to get professing Christians is to keep us from entering in to the living power of Jesus Christ, the power of God, unto salvation. And he has us. He's got us. And he's convinced too many of us that to surrender all to our Heavenly Father is to give up our liberties, is to give up our freedom. There's no other reason. There's no other reason that any one of you sitting here tonight has refused to give yourself entirely and completely into God's hands, except that you don't believe that you're safe there. You don't believe that God can really do what He says He will do. That's the devil's program, brothers and sisters. He's played it out for 6,000 years. And that's all He cares about is keeping us from making that vital connection with Jesus Christ. You see, He doesn't care how religious we are. What he trembles for, and you can go back through history, you can go back through the Reformation. What the devil trembles for is when he recognizes that a man or a woman or a youth or child begins to be God directed, spirit led. He trembles, he doesn't tremble at religion. He doesn't tremble at our doctrines. He doesn't tremble at the best truth that the world has ever had to offer. He trembles when people connect with the mighty power of a living Savior and they are directed by God. He trembles. And the second thing that the devil will do There are myriads of things He'll do, but these two things. The first is to keep us from that connection. The second is if we make that connection, He will spend all of His energies just as He did with our loving Redeemer. He spent all His energies trying to disconnect Jesus from His Heavenly Father. and That's where He'll spend His energies. You get connected to God in a living connection through Jesus Christ and he will spend all his energies doing whatever he has to do to disconnect you from that connection. All his energies. So brothers and sisters, don't be fearful. Don't be fearful, but be warned. Because if you'll give yourself wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ this weekend you will experience a power that transcends anything you've ever experienced in your religious life. And if you do that, you will experience the fury of the devil like you've never experienced. But His grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. I love being a Christian, brothers and sisters. I just wish I would have understood the program a lot Earlier in life. But I love the program. I don't know where I am in the program and that doesn't concern me as much as staying with my Redeemer. Because I know where the end will take me if I stay with Him. Because the light's getting brighter and brighter and brighter. You know what it says? It gets brighter and brighter until what? The The perfect day. And the brighter it gets, the more convinced we are that the way of the cross does lead home. And the less we believe the lies of the devil back here in the darkness. Are you believing less of his lies, brothers and sisters? Amen. Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Has Satan stolen your time for prayer? There's two things that he does to accomplish this keeping us from really connecting with the power of a living Savior. Has He stolen your time for prayer? Has He stolen your time from spending real communion with Him in His Word? I don't mean just reading. I mean spending real time in God's Word That's connecting you with the vital power of Jesus Christ. You see, if he's stolen us, if he's stolen our prayer time, if he's robbed us of our time in God's Word, do you know what he's effectively done? I'll tell you what he's done. If he's keeping us from communion with God through prayer and the study of his Word, then he's stolen from us the breath of the soul. That's what prayer is. It is the breath of the soul. Have you ever been suffocated before? I have. Almost to death. It's a fearful experience. I almost drowned, but by the grace of God, when I was nine years old. You know how they talk about going down the third time? I experienced that three times. I went down the third time, and I knew I was dying. I had no more air. I was suffocating. If you've ever lost your air, it's a horrible experience. (laughs) It's one thing to hold your breath on purpose and see how long you can do it. I do that with my son sometimes, see how long we can hold our breath. (laughs) But when you can't get your breath, it's a terrible feeling to suffocate brothers and sisters. If we are not having vital time and communion with God through prayer, we are being suffocated spiritually. No wonder we can't maintain a vital connection with a power outside of ourselves if we're being suffocated spiritually, if we're gasping for literal breath in our soul. And friends, if we are not eating and drinking the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. You know, that was what turned away a large number of His disciples. He said, you need to eat My flesh and drink My blood. And they said, this is a very hard thing. This is a very hard saying. And many of of them walked with Him no more after that. Brothers and sisters, if we are not spending time feeding upon the Word of God, Feeding our souls. I don't mean just going through the motions. I don't mean rote prayers. I don't mean just reading. Just to be reading. I mean feeding our souls. If we are not experiencing that kind of communion with God, we're starving spiritually. Now you think about this for a moment. We're supposed to be giving the everlasting gospel to the world. Right? Right? And we're suffocating and starving in the process. What kind of testimony is that? Would you want that kind of gospel? No! I mean, I meet health reformers all over the world who are some of the most emaciated, unhealthy-looking people I've ever met in my life. And I don't mean any offense to a health reformer. But if that is the case and you're trying to tell people that you've got a better way of life and you look like skin and bones and you're... I don't want to go into a full description, but brothers and sisters, that does not lend itself to say, I want what you have. Does it? Amen. No. And friends, if we're going to give the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, we can't be starving and suffocating as Christians. What do we have to give them? May our Heavenly Father break through to our hearts tonight. He has a Father's heart for each one of us, friends. He's just waiting for us to respond more deeply, more intimately, more completely than we've ever responded before. That's what he's waiting for. He's yearning for us to have the experience of Jeremiah. I love these words in Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah says, Thy words were found, and I did what? I ate them. And thy word became the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Doesn't that paint a beautiful picture? Jeremiah is expressing here that when I really took this word in, and it became a living part of me through a living connection with God. It became the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Brothers and sisters, that's Christianity. And the world is hungry for it. They need our truth. They need our doctrines, but they need our Savior first. And we need that Savior before we give them anything else. Because we'll give them all the other stuff and they'll be gospel-hardened because they need a Savior. They don't just need better truth. They need a Savior. The truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And that's going to change the world, brothers and sisters. So how are you doing on the breathing and eating? (laughs) Really? You know, we need to think about that, don't we? I've made some commitments to the Lord this new year. Have you? Good. We need to make commitments, don't we? We need to make resolutions. And we need to have those resolutions empowered by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then those resolutions will come alive. It's good to do that, though, isn't it? It's good to make commitments and think about those commitments and decide how we're going to carry them out. So think about it, friends. Think about it. When you go home tonight, go home to your tent, or wherever you're going to stay tonight, you think about your eating and breathing program and figure out whether or not you've been suffocating and starving. And if you have, get on a new diet. Because God wants to reform us the right way. Doesn't He? Well, that second area... Before I go to that second area, I want to just share with you that what I have found in my quiet time with God, there's one main thing that God wants to have happen in my quiet time every morning. One main thing. And it doesn't matter how long it takes, there's one thing that I need to come away with before I leave my quiet time with God in the morning. And that is this. That I am consciously aware that I am vitally connected to Jesus Christ consciously aware that I am vitally connected to a living Savior who has a power to keep me to the uttermost if I will continue to cooperate with Him all through the day. That's what I go to God for in the morning. Is that complicated? Not complicated theology, is it? If we don't get that, though, brothers and sisters, we can spend hours in the morning if we don't come away with a vital connection. Now, is good if you spend hours here in God's Word. Even if you don't come away vitally connected, it's still good. (laughs) Because this will change us. But, how much better that we come away knowing that we are connected with the One who is mighty to save us. That's what we come to God for. That's what our quiet time is in the morning. It's not so we can tell our family that we had our worship this morning. It's not so that we can feel good about spending our whatever amount of time we spend in the morning. It's so that we can get connected with the power, the only power, that's able to keep us through the day. That's the Gospel. And if we don't have that, what do we have, brothers and sisters? So, the devil can't keep us from getting connected. And he cannot keep us from that, brothers and sisters. The devil cannot keep us from that. That's good news, isn't it? He'll make us think that we're pretty bad and that we might as well give up. I can't tell you how many times the the devil has tried to convince me that I might as well just throw in the towel. I'm never going to make it. But I don't believe those lies. Even though I feel like that sometimes, I don't believe those lies. But if he can't keep us from making that connection, I'll tell you what he'll try to do. That is, he'll break. He'll try in every way possible to break that connection. And you know, unfortunately, one of the most successful ways that he uses to break that connection is substituting a connection to truth as being synonymous with a connection to Christ. Can you believe that? That's what he'll do. And if you don't believe that, if you haven't seen it in your own life and you haven't seen it in the church that you attend, Then I'll show you how it happened to the Jewish nation. Okay, The Jewish nation was the depositary of the great plan of salvation. And they were given the lamb sacrifices. Do you remember that? And that lamb was to represent who? Yes, it was to represent Christ, the Savior of the world. And when the Savior of the world came, what did they do to him? They crucified him. Because they didn't recognize Him. Brothers and sisters, they had all the truths laid out to them from the foundations of the world. And when Jesus came, the one who had laid it all out for them, when He came, they crucified Him. What are you substituting for a vital connection? I can tell you many things that people are substituting. Many people are substituting church attendance many people believe that because they attend the right church they have the right connection it is not the case brothers and sisters connection to a church is not connection to christ automatically now that church should lead us to that connection but don't assume that because you attend the church you have the connection don't assume that because you participate in giving bible studies that you have the connection don't assume that if you pay tithe to the church that you have the connection. These assumptions can lead you in a very downward spiral that will leave you like the Jewish nation. Now, lest anyone should walk away from here saying that Tom Waters is talking against church or talking against tithing, not at all. That's not what I'm saying. All those things were like lamb sacrifices, if you will. All those things were pointing us to who? What is the church for, brothers and sisters? It's to bring people to Jesus Christ. It's a connecting point. And all the church is, is to connect people to Jesus. That's what it's for. And what is tithing for? Tithing is to be able to support the ministering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Doing those things in and of themselves is no different... Then slaying a lamb sacrifice if it becomes a ritual to you. It will not merit you anything in the kingdom of God if it is not connected to the sweet savor of a living connection to Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll hear me say these kind of things in most of my messages because I've come to recognize in my own experience the foolishness and the deception of holding on to the truth apart from Jesus Christ. It's deadly. It's dangerous. It's what caused the Pharisees to stand in Jesus' face and tell him that they needed a sign that he was the Messiah. Because their truth had led them away from Jesus instead of to Jesus. But our Heavenly Father doesn't care about all those excuses. He doesn't care about all the baggage that we have. All He cares about right now, brothers and sisters, is whether you're willing to respond to His Father's heart calling to you. Just like you want your children to respond to you. Doesn't that make you feel peaceful and contented when you, when you can call to the heart of your son or daughter and they respond out of a love and cheerfulness? Not out of a compliance, I've got to do this. God is calling to our hearts tonight. His Father's heart yearns for us. You remember Bill and his daughter Sandy, the beginning of this message? Bill made the decision not to attempt to rescue Sandy. That's the decision God led him to. But I remember the day that Bill called me a few months later. And he said, she's coming home. She's coming home. Oh, brothers and sisters, how sweet were those words. I can't tell you the tears that I've shed for that family. But what sweet words, she's coming home. Can you enter into that thrill? not like I can probably, but... You know, having gone through this experience with Bill, but you can enter into the the beauty of that. He did what God asked him to do. He went to God. He went to his Father in Heaven. He got the answer. And he said, she's coming home. I want to ask you tonight. What about you? Are you coming home, brothers and sisters? Are you really coming home? You see, it's the choices we're making daily. It's the priorities that are being set daily. And you know, some of those priorities and some of those choices, they seem like they're being pressed upon us from every side. But friends, we make the final decision under God, don't we? Or we make the final decision under the devil's influence. But what are the daily choices and daily priorities telling you? Are you coming home? Or are you drifting slowly, steadily, quietly, drifting farther from our Father's heart? It's a thrill to every one of us here, young and old, to hear the words that Bill told me on the phone. She's coming home. Tom, she's coming home. That's a thrill to every man, woman, and child here. That's good news. But are you coming home, brothers and sisters? Are you really cooperating with God in your daily priorities and your choices? Are you saying, oh, I want to get ready someday, or are you saying, I need to be ready today? I want to be ready to go home with Jesus Christ. Are you coming home, or are you drifting away? Tonight, if you find yourself with a sense of emptiness, if you feel an aching void inside of you, if you feel like a failure, I've experienced all those things myself. I understand how you feel. But I want you to listen to something very beautiful. Our Heavenly Father wants to paint a beautiful scene for us as we close this message tonight. I want you to picture with me what I believe is one of the most moving portrayals of a father's heart. And it's the heart of our father, brothers and sisters. There's a father that's daily looking, longing for the return of his son. Every day he looks for the return of his wayward son. And Luke says, while he was a great way off, His father saw him, and he had compassion on him, and he ran to meet him, and he kissed him. That's our Heavenly Father, brothers and sisters. He longs for us to come back to him tonight. I don't know where you've been. I don't know how long you've been there but if you're not where God wants you to be tonight, this is the picture of my Heavenly Father. This is the God that I serve. This is the God that I'm coming to love more deeply than I've ever known it before. This is my Father in Heaven. And He wants you to come home. And He wants me to come home with Him. And He stands a great way off watching longing for the return because he will not force us to return he will not go out and grab hold of us brothers and sisters he waits with a longing heart for us to return home to him he's drawing us he's wooing us and when he sees us a great way off he doesn't wait with his arms folded he doesn't wait brothers and sisters he has compassion on us And He runs to meet us. That's our Heavenly Father. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.